0: All right, that was great. Were those those llamas in that thing? Is that what those are? I wasn't sure. Is that what that was? Mercy's sakes! I thought. Well, I'm going to tell you what, folks. Uh, I, I saw Mark Arnold this week. I under his teaching for two week two days this week. And um, Mark Arnold, who was your last interim pastor, said to send you his love and he remembers you with such fond regard. And I just you to know, Ruthie and I understand that. We have been at church work our whole lives. I want you to know we love this church. This is a great church. You your music is incredible. You're one of the best congregation singing churches we've ever heard. We just we just go home kind of marveling at that. You have this great staff who love you and love the Lord. And you just you have this great spirit among you. You love one another. And that blesses me. Plus, you seem to like my preaching. <laughs> oh, that, come on. Uh, just kidding. All right. Okay. That's a joke. All right. Okay. Matthew four twenty three. I was supposed to tell you the verse before I do all that talking. Forgot. Matthew 4, 23. And that children's choir. That's, and the baby dedication. Oh, my. Is it in the water? <laughs> oh, my. They kept coming and coming and coming. I thought, my goodness, how many babies they got around here? All right, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, we're going to just pick up where we left off last week, so Matthew four twenty-three.
1: If you are a lady, if you are a female, would you please stand for the reading of God's word, ladies, just in, in um, honor of how precious you are the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And how valuable you are, and what power you have. In being able to raise up an, another generation to serve Him, so just um, I'm just going to just want you to stand because you're special. Don't ever forget that you are special. Uh, Matthew four, twenty three. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, all those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan, Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Thank you. You may be seated.
0: So Jesus has a problem. He's got thousands of people coming to him, but they're coming for the wrong reason. They're coming because uh, they want a political king. USA Christians can relate to that. I'm still convinced after 51 years of ministry, the USA Christians tend to be too political. We're known as the cultural hit men. We're too harsh. And that's the exact same problem that Jesus could see in these people that are following Him. They hated Rome. They'd been under Rome for a long time. hundred years maybe. I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly, but... It had been a long time. And so they hated Rome and they kept waiting for the one they called the Messiah, who would be a king. And they believed he would cast off the Romans. And so Jesus knows this. He knows here they come. He's healing them. He's taking care of them. He's teaching them. They know. They want him to be a political king. Well, Jesus is totally honest. He knows he has to just level with these people. So he says, let's let's go up onto a mountain, let's get to ourselves, and let me explain to you the kingdom. Now, when you're talking about a kingdom, where do you start? Well, if you're starting a brand new kingdom like we did, in our Declaration of Independence, it says, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary to dissolve the political bands that have joined one people to another. Or maybe you're going to emphasize the kingdom by its constituents, So then you start with big letters, we the people, in our Constitution. Or if you're in the middle of a kingdom being torn apart, ripped apart, like Lincoln, you can be nostalgic and you can say four score and seven years ago. That's interesting. When Jesus got everybody together and He starts His Declaration of Independence, His Constitution, He uses a happy word. He does not say whereas. He... He says, blessed. Now, if you want to translate blessed perfectly, you would say congratulations. Congratulations to, and then he's going to go through eight of these, all the way through the Sermon on the Mount, and he's going to explain to people what the kingdom is really like. I just love the fact that when Jesus started his kingdom, he started it with sunshine. He said, let us see if this kingdom can give you what you really want. You think you want political freedom. You think you want things to work out okay in this world. But let us talk about true blessedness. Let us talk about what you really long for and what you are earnestly yearning for down deep inside of you. So he starts by saying congratulations to you who are poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means that you know that in the spiritual realm you have no strength and you have no merit. You know that when you come before God, you're not there because you're some great person. You're not there because you've earned the opportunity to be there. You come because you know you are weak. And you know that you must have Him. And everything He does is of grace. The first moment you got saved. Remember the first moment you got saved. You did not come to God and say, Now God, I'm going to do half this. You do the other half. You came totally into His presence and said, Now if I'm going to be saved, you're going to have to do it. And when you came into His presence, you didn't say, Now, Lord, I want you to save me because I'm a good person. No, you came because you knew you were a sinner. You came empty-handed. You just said, I cannot do this on my own, and I have nothing to where I really deserve it. And living the Christian life is exactly doing that over and over and over and over again. See, many Christians make the mistake of believing that as you get older and you're a Christian longer, you get stronger spiritually. Not true. No. None of you is stronger in your flesh than you were the moment you got saved. None of you has any more merit, now no matter what you've done, than you had then. Any goodness, anything that you have, anything you've accomplished for the Lord is because of Him. Because of His strength. Not because you're a better person than you were, because you've become stronger. That's not true. The first law of the kingdom is congratulations to the poor in spirit, to the people who know, they just can't live a spiritual life on their own. If you want the picture, you want the picture, it's the tax collector in the temple. Remember that heart-wrenching scene? The Pharisee comes in and he lifts up his hands to heaven as the Jews pray. The Jews prayed like this, their eyes open toward heaven, and with their hands up, they'd pray to God. And the Pharisee comes in, he says, I thank you, I'm not like other men, I do such great things. And I thank you, I'm not like him, the tax collector over there. And over there in the corner, too ashamed to even come into the middle of the crowd, knows that everybody looks down on him. So he's over there, just, just humiliated. And he's standing over there. He won't even look up. He won't lift up his hands. He puts his head down on his chest. He goes like this. And he beats his chest. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man. Went home justified. And his response to the publican, the tax collector, was so incredible that from that day till now, Christians, we do not worship, we do not pray in our normal position. We worship like this, but we do not pray normally like this. We now pray like this. We no longer look up to heaven. We bow our heads and we close our eyes. First of all, we close our eyes because it's just practical. But also we close our eyes as an act of worship saying we know that our God is invisible. That man becomes the example of what it means to be poor in spirit. Now, if we're going to understand what it means to be poor in spirit, first of all, you better understand what it is not. Being poor in spirit does not mean that you have little value. Oh, my goodness, no. Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world, but lose his own soul? In other words, in God's eyes, every one of you in this room is more important than the whole world. All the gold, all the silver, all the diamonds... All of it combined. You are more valuable to the Lord than all of that. The Lord loves you. Do not think of yourself as insignificant. Being poor in spirit does not mean that I think I'm a nobody. The great picture in the Bible of being poor in spirit, but yet understanding who you are is the prodigal son. The prodigal son, he's down feeding the pigs. Imagine a Jew feeding the pigs. And he's looking at the husks that he's feeding the pigs. And he's eating the husks. And it dawns on him. that the Bible says he came to himself. What do you mean? And came to himself in what way? First of all, he knew he was made for something better than this. Number two, he knew he couldn't do it without dad's help. And so when you are poor in spirit, you come before God, not because you're asking for anything, not because you're a nobody. You come and you fall before God because you are a Somebody. Because you were made for something great in the eyes of God. Because you matter to the kingdom. Because you are important. So, yes, you are poor in spirit. You know that you cannot do anything of yourself. But you know that you have great value and you come to get God's strength to do what you were called and made to do. Being poor in spirit also does not mean that you are to be poor in personality. Jesus does not try to change people's basic personalities. What you are the day before you get saved, you'll probably be the day after you get saved. There's nothing wrong with being shy. Being an introvert's no better than being an extrovert. There's nothing wrong with being talkative. And I am so grateful to God for that. I, I am a talker. I get paid to talk. When, when I was uh, taking off this week to go to Mark Arnold's conference, I, I talk a lot. I talk all the time. That's what I do. I told Ruthie as I was going out the door, Ruthie, I'm going to try my best not to talk so much. And the final words as I walked out the door were, let me know how that goes. <laughs> it's okay to be strong-willed. It's okay to be compliant. Look at Peter. Peter, the man with the foot-shaped mouth. Strong-willed. Hey, you laughed at that. First sir didn't laugh at that. Thank you for laughing at that. Here he is. He's aggressive. He's strong-willed. He's got an A1 personality. Yet at the same time, he's poor in spirit. Now, watch this. Here's this guy who's all personality, but he's poor in spirit. And he says to the Lord on one occasion, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. Even though he has this overbearing personality, he recognized that in the spiritual realm, he doesn't have strength. So his personality stayed constant, but being poor in spirit, he was always seeking God's help in the spiritual realm of life. And the third thing, being poor in spirit does not mean that you are a poor performer. Don't, don't, don't lie about who you are. There are some of you in this room, you're great athletes. Some of you are great students, you're scholars. Some of you are great in your personalities, the way you deal with people. People have great skills. And, and it just really eats in my heart when somebody says, Oh, I'm not that good. No, I'm not, and no, I I can't. I'm not really that good. No, that's a stop it. Quit lying. You were born with certain gifts and traits. You have got plenty of weaknesses. Don't worry. You, you'll have plenty of weaknesses, and people will spend a lifetime pointing those out to you. So don't worry about that. What you need to do is recognize what your strengths are, and just say it. Yes, I am a good athlete. Yes, I am a good student. Yes, I do have a good personality. Yes, I am a good leader. Yes, I am good. Yes, I can do this. Don't spend your life trying to be somebody that you're not. Don't pretend you're something you're not. Accept yourself, your personality, your strength, your weaknesses. But then at the same time, you are to be poor in spirit. Now, that raises a question. Why is it that Christians in the USA have trouble Getting this. USA Christians have a lot of problems. You know that. You don't have to be a Rhodes Scholar to figure that out. We're in a serious time of decline. However, there are some people who believe that it's only the superficial church that's being uh, taken out, that the real church is now going to shine. So you know, who knows what the future holds. But USA Christians have real trouble with this being poor in spirit. And, and I, as a pastor, trying to get people to be poor in spirit, is the number one law of the kingdom here. Why in the world do Americans have so much trouble with being poor in spirit? I'm convinced it's because that in our culture, self-advancement and self-confidence have become American idols. They're cultural idols. If you don't believe me, you go to any school in this city, whether it's public private, Christian, go to any homeschool, go anywhere you want to go, and you'll hear the teachers saying things like this. Believe in yourself. Go to your happy place. You can do this. All you have to do is believe that you can. You see, this self-improvement, this self-confidence has become an American cultural idol. And there's a way in which that's okay. For instance, you have some vocation, you have some strength. You, you need to tap your own inner strengths. You need to get inside yourself and do better. Read Zig Ziglar and make you a better salesman. Dale Carnegie, Carnegie. Every human being on the planet should read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Everybody should read Steve Covey's Seven Habits of, of Leaders, Effective Leaders. Everybody should read Drucker about management. So, so, so you read these things and you use self help to make yourself better. They are good. They are powerful. But here's the problem. To live the Christian life, you've been taught all your life be self confident, be strong, be yourself. You can do it. To be a good Christian, you have to turn that switch completely off, totally, 100%. And you step over here and you say, I cannot do this at all. This is impossible. I, I, I cannot quit my cursing, I cannot stop watching pornography. I cannot stop being mean to my wife. I I cannot. I cannot. Whereas if you try to live by this philosophy, you can do it, be yourself. Listen, you can't even quit chewing your fingernails. Much less accomplish something spiritual in your life. Something that really matters. And so this is the problem Americans have. We live in a world, self-confidence, self-promotion, self-accomplishment, And we have trouble telling our people, now, when you step over here into your prayer life and trying to live for God, you've got to turn the switch off. You've got to leave self-reliance and move to God-reliance. Because, folks, living the Christian life is tough. Anybody who thinks that the Christian life is easy doesn't have a clue what it means to be a Christian. Living the Christian life is so difficult and we need every ounce of strength that we can get from the Lord. Now, this being poor in spirit is so important that God makes sure you will learn the lesson one way or another. I had, a, I had a great prayer warrior tell me one time, now, I'm not a great prayer warrior. I'm a teacher. My spiritual gift is teaching. I don't have the great gift of faith. I don't have the great gift of prayer. I just, I just don't. I, I, I pray and things don't happen. That's okay. That's God's business. My job is to pray. The results are His. But I had a great prayer warrior lady tell me one time that she believed the reason that God lets you live on the edge always, why there's always a problem, why there's always something going wrong, why you're always in danger of just falling off in life, was to keep us poor in spirit. No matter how strong we are, no matter how confident we are, no matter how powerful we think we are, there's always just something, just a little something out of our control. Something that causes us to know We really need help. And so the Lord helps us to be poor in spirit. All right, congratulations, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what is your your reward for being poor in spirit? The verse says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now now that's not an arbitrary reward, that's just a natural consequence. if, If you're obeying the Lord, if you're poor in spirit, if you're serving Him then His kingdom is in you. A kingdom is in a place where a king rules. And so if you're serving Him and, and you're yielded to Him, you're not claiming any goodness on your own, you're just under Him, then the kingdom of heaven becomes yours. Now here's the important thing. This realm where you're hopeless and helpless of yourself, this is the realm that has to rule all the others. You see? You've got these great strengths as an athlete, or as a scholar, or as a, a family member. You, you, you can just go down the list of these things you're really strong in. But the ruling thing in your life, the controlling element, has to be the one element you have no control over. In other words, if I'm going to please God, this is scary, folks. If I'm going to please God, I'm going to, let him, I'm going to have to let Him have control over my body, my future, my assets, my life, my choices, my inner essence. And that scares us to death. We've got all these strengths built up here, but you're saying to me that I have to live, let this part of my life be the boss of my life, and that's the one part of my life I don't control. And yet when we live in fear of that, how how silly can we be? That's about as groundless as anything can be. The Son of God came to us. God gave us His Son. And He who gave us His Son, can we not trust Him that if we live for Him, He shall bring us honor and glory. He, He will bring us the best in our life. Before you were born, in your DNA, and then in your raising, you were made to accomplish great things through some great gift that you have. Athletics, scholars, personality, the list goes on. You know what, it goes on. You were made to accomplish some great things. But the only way you can accomplish what God means for you to accomplish is for you to take these areas where you know you are strong, but to step over here, outside of your strength, and to say, okay, Lord, you made me a great athlete, but I'm going to yield my life to you. You tell me how to use my athletics. Now, Lord, you made me a great scholar, and I'm going to be an A student as long as I live. But now, Lord, I don't have a clue what you meant for me to do. So that's how the poor in spirit becomes the ruling thing of our life. And when you discover what you were made to do, That's the greatest joy in life. What if I had missed being a preacher and a teacher? What what, what if I would have missed this great privilege I've had for over half a century of taking a Bible and laying it on a pulpit and taking notes and lessons and studying and talking and teaching and telling? I, I would have been a good teacher. I have a degree in math. I could have taught mathematics. I I could have been a motivational speaker. But my heaven, my heaven is not in my happiness. The heaven is not in feeling that, uh, that, that you're just better than anybody else. The heaven is in knowing that God gave you these strengths. And that because you yielded to Him and you said, I am yours, I am not mine. I cannot do this on my own. I'm going to flub this up. This is not going to be good. Because of being yielded to Him, then God takes you to do what you were created to do. And you feel it. You sense it. When I walk up these steps to preach, there's not one thing in the world, nothing. I could be doing that would bring me greater heaven. Because I sense this is me. With all my problems and all difficulties, and Ruthie and I have them aplenty with all of the tragedies, with all of those things, it's not in the happiness, it's in understanding that I am doing what God made me to do. My, uh, my favorite preacher of all time is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Spurgeon was a Baptist pastor in London in the 1800s. Spurgeon said something, or I read something that he wrote when I was young that affected me for my whole life. He said, Little faith will bring you to heaven. Much faith will bring heaven to you. You see, you can be saved. You can become a Christ follower. And then live your whole life in rebellion against God. You never yield to Him. You never admit you don't have any strength. You're determined you're going to do it yourself. And so you plow through life. You always, at the best, have little faith. You never are able just to click off that self-confidence button and get over here and really find what God wants you to have. You really have trouble living in the realm of the spiritual in faith. But you know, you can go to heaven that way. Little faith will take you to heaven. You can go to heaven that way. But if you have much faith, if if you can step into this realm of the spiritual, and you can say, Lord, I got these strengths. You made me this way. Now, I want to do and be what you made me to do, then heaven comes to you. So the great king turns around to the crowd, wants it all to be about politics. He turns, he looks at them, and he says, congratulations to you who are poor in spirit. That's enough for today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We'll pick up there next Sunday. Right there's where we'll start next week. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Now, where does the message meet you? Where, where do you find yourself? Do, do, do you deny your strengths, or are you always downplaying yourself, downmouthing yourself? Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! But then maybe on the other hand, you do know what your strengths are, and, and you you are determined to assert yourself, and you've never you don't know how to turn off the switch, and step over here and say, God. My spiritual life is hopeless without you. I have no more strength than I had a year ago. I'm still just as helpless and as hopeless. Maybe that's where the message met you. And then the crowd decides we always, always have to assume that there might be someone who does not know Jesus at all. And I, this message I've preached, congratulations to the poor in spirit. Congratulations to you. If you know that you're not of Christ's followers, You know you're not a believer, and you know you cannot save yourself. You can never be good enough on your own to go to heaven. That your only hope is to be poor spiritually, to come into the presence of God and say, God, I have a problem here. I cannot fix my own life. I am a sinner, and I'm so sorry. Help me. And then when you do that, then the congratulations comes to you. And there might be someone here right now who's dealing with that very feeling. You might be right at this very moment saying, you know, something in the music or something in the praying or something in the preaching, something in the fellowship, something has caused me now to want to yield my life to Christ. And if that's the case, I'd like to lead you in a prayer. Now, this prayer won't save you. We Christians don't believe in magic. We don't believe the words in and of themselves are the answer to the world's problems, no. I only offer this as a way of maybe helping a person pull their thoughts together. Just kind of get it congruent inside where you feel like, yeah, that's what I do want to say. That's what I do feel. Now, if that's the case, then the prayer will help you. And if that's what you want to do, I want to lead you in a prayer. And if this prayer says what you need to say, I'm going to ask you to repeat it silently, phrase by phrase, as I pray it out loud. Here it is. Dear Jesus... I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me. Come live in my heart. I receive you as the master of my life. Amen.